Welcome to my world. I'm your host, Kevin Rutherford. It is Tuesday. What's the date today? November 7th. We are here live. I feel a little better today. I actually got my body battery up all the way to 47 this morning. It had been stuck at 5 for about 4 or 5 days. That was a little rough. So I might be starting to recover, although we've got another event uh, today. In fact, if you want to jump in with a question, a comment, a topic, you should do it quickly. We only have an hour today. Um, Today, tomorrow, and Thursday, we only have an hour on the show. I do have to get over to another event. I'm not doing any kind of speaking at this event, so um, I should be able to recover in the next couple of days. Uh, I don't really have a whole lot going on. We're going to hear from Bruce and uh, Pete and Leroy, and then we'll get to your calls. Bruce, good morning. Good morning, Kevin. It was nice to see you at Nastic. It, it was wonderful to see you there, and it's one of the few truck shows that we at least got a little bit of time to talk to each other. Right, right. Yeah, I thought it was a... Have you talked about on the show yet about Nastic and what it is? And um, a little bit. Pretty good. A, yeah, a little bit. Not a, not a whole lot. It's... Um, it's surprising how big Nastic has grown and how they're not all that well-known in the industry. They actually, um, their, their fuel card program um, has 180,000 power units on their fuel card program. That's why their discounts are so big. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So anyway, yesterday morning I get, or mid-morning, I get an interesting email from... Randy Deal, 53-year-old owner-operator. I know Randy. Ex-mechanic. You do know Randy. I do know Randy, yeah. And an A-cert, and an A-cert in a 379 with our damper balancer, manifold. Um, and he's been on the Max Mileage Catalyst for one year. Now, some people think that the A-cert Caterpillar, the twin turbo, the started in 04, 5, 6, and 7, is not an emission engine. But it is an emission engine because the actuators actually allow uh, some exhaust back into the intake, and it builds up a tremendous amount of soot and carbon on the intake. Well, Randy runs 355 gears, tall 22.5 rubber, at 65 is at 1450 RPM. The engine will make 50 pound of boost, but he's able to cruise between three and nine pound of boost. Wow. I've never seen an A-cert that low. Wow. On a level. Three to nine pounds. The lowest I've ever seen was 12. So I, I don't know how he's doing this, but he's doing it. Bruce, just. He got pulled over yesterday. Go ahead. My C13 A-cert is between 18 and 20 pounds to maintain 65 miles an hour on the level. There you go. So I guess your motorhome just isn't aerodynamic like a 379P is. (laughs) (laughs) I think that transmission's killing me a little too. He got pulled in for a smoke test in Danbury, Connecticut yesterday morning. I'm looking at the report that the policeman gave them, and it was at 10.02. They finished at 10.22. 
So here's something I find interesting. Um, you're allowed 55% on the opacity from a 1994 to a 1990 engine, 55%. On a 91 and newer, it's 40%. Now, wow. he blew a 7.44. How about that for being clean? So, yeah, okay. He's, now, he's a, he's allowed 40, and he was at 7.44. The trooper told him he actually was at 6, but they wrote down 7.44. So, and he'll say this. He'll say he has one of the smoothest, quietest, great pulling asserts he's ever heard, and it all started with the catalyst. Outstanding. Yeah. And that's what I have for right now. All right. Well, we Other need And to... I really enjoyed the Nastic show and enjoyed meeting Mark Quinn and several of our other owner-operator friends. And we get to spend a, a lot of nice time talking with them. Mark and I had a really wonderful barbecue lunch across the street and it was good. 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 And I'll be back it next year. It, it was a good show. I will. Uh, I'll be back as mm-hmm. well. All right. We don't have a lot of time today, so it's good that we don't have too much. Pete, Leroy, good morning, guys. Good morning, Kevin. How are you doing? Doing wonderful. What uh, What's on your mind this morning? I don't have much today, and since it's a short show, I think maybe we just get to the um, callers. We can do that. Leroy? I agree with Pete. I would love to hear from our callers. Well, we better get some then. Call us, 855-950-3835. We're going to get started in Montana. Rod, welcome. Yes, hi. What can we help you with today? Uh, question. I got a question about the catalyst, the mild max or whatever you call it there. Why, max mileage. What, max mileage. Why does it cost so much? And does it cost a lot to make? And what is in it? I can't tell you what's in it. That's Dr. Jane Gates' secret. She oh. has been in the chemical business 35 or 36 years now. It it costs a penny a mile to use it, but in maintenance yeah. on an emissions engine, it saves you five to six cents a mile. So it actually saves you five to 600% on your investment. Hey, Rod, one of the things I I will tell you about the product itself without going into a ton of detail, it's not an additive. You know, we use the word additive for a reason. A fuel additive goes into the fuel, but does not react with the fuel in any way. The word catalyst is specific. Catalyst, when it comes in contact with fuel, changes the composition of the fuel. And in order to to burn sooner and at a lower temperature, that's the definition of a catalyst. There is a chemical reaction when they're mixed. That's very different than an additive. Okay. Okay. All right. And it's back at one-gallon treats. It's highly concentrate one-gallon treats. 3,200-gallon of diesel fuel. Four ounces for every 100 gallons. Right, four ounces for 100 gallons. Goes a long way. That's another reason. Okay, thank you. You're welcome. Thanks for the call. All right, we're rolling into the calls. We've got an hour, so you better jump in quick. 855 
850-985-0950-3835. We're off to Arizona. Rusty, welcome. Yeah, thanks, guys. Take my call. I've got a 99th Century with the 12.7 Detroit in it, and every so often, I just the boost drops out to zero, and it can be there for 30 seconds, can be there for just a couple of seconds, and I'm just trying to figure out where this might go. I've changed fuel filters. Um, I'm running a fast fuel system on it, so and I just don't know. I've checked grounds. Everything else seems to be good. But is it an electronic boost gauge, or is it a mechanical? Uh, I'm using a scan gauge to, to pull the boost. Oh, scan gauge, okay. So and so that's electrical. The next question is, are you roaring black smoke when you lose your boost? Uh, I can't really tell. It's a weed burner. I don't notice that, no. Well, if, if you have no boost and you have fuel and you're going down a highway, you would be looking like an old steam locomotive. Yeah, no. But you're not. Just, you're not seeing that in your mirrors. No, sir. Okay. Do you lose power? Oh yeah, yeah. The power completely drops out when when that's. I mean, I barely can hold. It, it drops down to forty miles an hour if it stays in for about thirty seconds or so on flat ground. So this is a Leroy question. Yeah. So the reading that you're getting from the scan gauge is the same reading that the ECM sees when it's monitoring the boost sensor. The reason the right. power drops out is because the smoke control table, which limits the amount of fuel you're allowed to have per like pound of boost, is is going to kick in when you go from you know, 25, 30 to zero. It's going to heavily limit your fuel. So your issue is going to be one of three things. It's either going to be the ECM itself, it's going to be the wiring to the boost sensor or the boost sensor. It's one of those th three things, especially if it's just going from like 20 to zero, just like that, that's yep. probably going to be one of those three things that's uh, that's causing your issue. Okay, cool. Thanks, guys. Yeah, no Well, these have been easy so far. Let's go to Tennessee. Austin, welcome. How's it going? Uh, got a question. I just overhauled my uh, 2001 6NZ Cat. Before I overhauled it, my EGTs, they would get up to 1,000, 950 to 1,000. And now the gauge, I mean, it falls all the way to, like, if you let completely out of it, it falls all the way down to 200. And the most I can get out of it is like 850. Does that sound like a gauge problem or did I just make that much improvement when we overhauled it? So first, did you lose any turbo boost? I gained turbo boost on the overhaul. I uh, finally got my boost sensor problem figured out. And uh, I gained how many pounds? Five pounds. About three to five pounds on the max boost after the overhaul. Okay. So you gain, you'll lose 25 degrees for every pound of boost you gain if you didn't, if you gain boost and didn't increase fuel. So you went from uh, 1,000 to 850 or say 950 to 850. That's four pounds of boost right there. So, yeah, you... Uh, by cleaning up the engine, rebuilding the engine, and whatever else you did, maybe you had some boost leaks, but uh, now you're good now. I, so, you like, see how even you see how sensitive those two gauges work together there, right? Uh, even like going down a hill, that that boost gauge it'll fall all the way down to to two fifty three hundred. That's common. Wait, it, no, that's it pyrometer. Never did that before. That's the pyrometer. Right. Yeah, it should drop considerably. Your engine's not doing a whole lot coasting down a hill. No. 
At 300 degrees when you're on the hot side, if your foot's off the throttle, and you're in the cold side, so 250 could could be. Mm-hmm. Oh, good deal. We had stuck a lot of money into it. New head, new cam, had to have the, uh, the counter bores cut, and got it running good now. How much money did you put into it? I did a lot myself, and I had a mechanic, real good mechanic, help me on the side. Or he did the, I did the dummy work, so to speak, and uh, I had yeah. right at twenty one thousand in it. But I put a radiator and redid all my hoses and quite a few other things. You got off pretty easy. I didn't feel like it was too bad. No, no, you did good. See the advantages of working and helping and and uh, doing what you call the grunt work saved you. Uh, That'll be four thousand dollars. Right, and my old and uh, I bought that an old eighty one dump truck over last March, and that uh, helped me with my two weeks of downtime. I hauled asphalt with it during the day and worked on my truck during the evening. There you go. So that's all I got for you guys. That's all we need. Thanks for the call. We are going to head to California this time. Neil, welcome to the program. Hey, um, I had a question on the catalyst side of things. I know for me, my perspective, using it with, on the fleet side, it's really difficult to get guys to measure and add things. Have you considered like a single-use delivery method, like Tide Pods and a one- or two-ounce sizing that would disintegrate in the, in the fuel? Well, I'll tell you, we have a guy out of Fredonia, New York, he... I think he runs seven Freightliners, DD-15s with teams, and they turn California in five and a half days. And every time they stop, they buy 175 gallons of fuel. So they're doing the same run. And he has seven-ounce glass bottles. And he buys a catalyst in five-gallon pails, and he fills up the glass bottles, and they add one every time they buy fuel. Uh, there's a, in Buffalo, New York, there's a grocery warehouse and his drivers, they save up their five hour energy bottles and they're compatible with the catalyst and that's two ounces. So every time they buy 50 gallon, they dump in one, uh, five hour energy bottle. So that's, that's some ways to do it. Looking from our perspective, because we see them maybe once a month, some of the trucks, some of the trucks we see weekly. So it would be nice to have some method that we could stick in their side box that's good for 30 days. Mm-hmm. That can, you not, uh, give them, can you not give them one of our measuring cups and down one ounce to 25 gallon? Uh, I don't know if I would always trust them to do those kind of mathematical calculations or do that kind of work. And, uh, you know, that, that kind of amazes me because, you know, we trust the guy going down a highway at 80,000 pounds and, and delivering freight, but yet some fleets will say they can't trust the driver with a 13-speed or an 18-speed. Some will say you can't teach them how to read a boost gauge, and a lot of people say you can't teach them how to measure catalyst, but... Yet, we let them drive an 18-wheeler. Bruce. I think uh, it's a mentality as far as how much effort they want to put into it on their side, though. It's got to be, like, simple and point and click. Yes. And, and Bruce, I I understand what you're saying. 
We deal with this with so many fuel mileage and maintenance improvements that fleets will not and cannot implement because of the driver. You, you can't put a fleet air filter in a truck, in a fleet. You can't depend on the driver to check after a service and make sure they didn't take it out and throw it away. And it happens. They'll take it out. They, mm-hmm. The shop, if you don't tell them, you know, it's a washable. So the driver pulls in, doesn't bother to tell anybody. The next thing you know, you just lost a fleet air filter. Um, OPS isn't going to happen on fleet yeah. trucks because it's one more thing a service point that they can't get done easily on the road. Uh, We could go through almost all of the things we've developed over the years, and they just don't work at the fleet level until maybe the OEM implements them in a way that's super easy. Really, remember when International doubled down on EGR so they could try to avoid DEF? Right. The only reason... They're 100% the reason they did it so that the driver didn't have to put death in the truck. That's all they were trying to eliminate. Well, okay, so I just got a text message from Brandy Young. She buys four-ounce chili jars, and so four ounces gives her 100 gallon, and uh, she keeps those in her truck, so she always buys at least 100 gallon and just dumps the jelly jars in Bruce that's that's what I do in my coach I have a four ounce jar so it's it's I know I'm not exact but I'm pretty darn close uh, half is for 50 gallons a quarter is for 25 gallons it's not that hard without really getting that precise on your measurement if you use it a jar that's about that size pretty easy to eyeball it you know I I still like the plastic measuring cup and you get a motorcycle dealerships for mixing two-stroke oil with gasoline it's v-shaped it's got all the measurements on it it's got Bruce, a I've got i've got an idea for but, you Con- okay. contact whoever makes that and right on the container itself have the entire chart of gallons to ounces right on the container Adding 100 gallons, fill up to this line. I don't know how to make it any easier than that, but you're still not going to get fleets um, to trust drivers to do this. I know. It's a shame. Yeah. Well, I can say it's yet, we have We have fleet operators like, like Randy. I mean, it's not her truck, but she doesn't want to break down, so she buys it on her own. So there are a lot of good fleet drivers. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. However... However, so I don't know. We'll keep working on it. Um, if they put a dispenser on the back of the truck and they turned the bow and saw X amount of CCs come down, would that work? You know, my other problem is because, like, when we use uh, anti-gel, you know, it says it's really simple. You know, one, one bottle for 100 gallons. But it gets cold, and the driver is literally going to think, well, if one works good, two's going to work better. <laughs> yeah, there's always that mentality, <laughs> too. <laughs> no, you are correct. You know, and it's, yeah. that you know it's, it's out of our control on that mentality. In 1981, I bought my first house, and I had this landscaping crew come in and uh, 
boy, it was expensive. It was like $1,600. And boy, they did a beautiful job. But they knew me and they knew I was an next race car guy and they knew I did performance diesels. And when I came home from work and they were finishing it up and he handed me the chemicals that he wanted me to spray on, he said if it calls for one ounce for two gallon of water, it's one ounce. More is not better. And he's staring at me. And he says, if you go more, you're going to kill all your new plants. I paid attention to that one. So there you go. Uh, if, if you have time, I had a mechanical question, I think, for Leroy. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Um, I've got a 2015 DD13 on one of our trucks. And it has intermittently every three or 4,000 miles. It'll throw that code for a, what do you call it, severe air intake restriction. We replaced the sensor after the dealer looked at it. It's still doing it. Are we looking after that into the ECM for that, or is that? You said it's for intake air restriction? Yeah. And, I mean, it's not, there isn't a restriction. We had that inspected and looked at. But it's throwing one, and it'll it'll even go so far as to shut the truck down. He'll restart it, go down the road, and it's back to normal, and we won't see it again for a month. I'm just unaware of how it would know the restriction because there's no sensor for it. At least not that I know of. I've never seen a restriction sensor, not on the, the intake side. They might have an ambient air temperature or pressure uh, humidity sensor, but I've never seen restriction. Yeah, it was, uh, have say, a it might have been a pressure sensor. Do you have like a fault number? Uh, I don't. Um, mm-hmm. That truck's about a thousand miles away from me today. Yeah. Maybe when you get a sec, uh, Give me a call sometime after the show with the with the fault number. We can kind of go through it. But yeah, I've I've I'm pretty unaware of uh, any sort of intake air restriction fault code. I, I don't think I've ever heard of that one. Now, if the EGR was kind of intermittently closing, could that create that situation? Um, no, the EGR is not going to affect the intake air restriction. I mean, when I when you say intake air restriction, I'm thinking like plugged air filter. Yeah, the the troubleshooting starts there. It starts with the. Uh, uh, where the air goes into the air filter, then the air filter, and then it go down the line, and they they ended up on the sensor. On but, which sensor? I wish I could remember. It, it was a pressure sensor on the intake side. Okay, I mean, it could maybe maybe what you're talking about is like a low boost code, uh, because that would that would be a similar troubleshooting tree that would start off with uh, checking the air filters and end at the the pressure sensor. Um, I have seen. I'm just kind of going off the beaten path here because I don't know exactly what fault you have, but. If it's like a low boost code, then it could possibly be that, that wastegate actuator on the side. And there's a pretty simple test that you can hook up an airline to it and see if it's actually working or not. They, they call it a wastegate actuator, but it's sort of just the, the turbo actuator for um, the asymmetric turbo. <laughs> it's not a turbo compound one. It has like a regular looking turbo on it. Um, it has an actuator on it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Could you say it's a 2015? So yeah, there's a, there's a little actuator on the passenger side of the block that has airlines going to it and coming out of it. Um, so that, that would be the, the place that I would check because I, I have seen frequently those cause intermittent issues, that little wastegate actuator, if it's the code that you're okay. talking about. Okay. That'll give me something to look at. Yeah. Okay, cool. Thank you very much. Yeah, no problem. You're welcome. Thanks for the call. Uh, Calls are light. We've got another half hour. I know it's quick, but there's still plenty of time to get through. Jump in and join us. 855-950-3835. Head off to Iowa. Jake, welcome to the program. Hey, good morning. Um, I've got a 
Cummins X15 in the last couple of weeks. It's only done it on Tuesday mornings, which is weird, but it's losing its prime. I'll start it. It'll fire a few seconds later, sputters, dies. It, the lift pump is working. I can hear it working. I cycle the key, and then everything will be fine. Um, got a Davco fuel processor, and someone told me it could be the check valve in there that's acting up. I didn't know if you had any thoughts, but, I mean, it did it to me this morning, but after I finally got it to fire, it, everything's fine now. So to test that, you need a sight glass on the suction side of the fuel pump and watch for air bubbles coming in, and then you kind of move okay. it back. To, to isolate which device it is, a, a simple test that you could do is your Dolph through your water separator, union the two lines together. So you're going to eliminate that. If the problem goes away, then you know it's the water separator causing the issue. Water separators can suck air, um, which also causes things to bleed off. Now, it could be an injectors, it could be a fitting, it could be a fuel line, uh, it could be a lot of different things. That's a quick test that you can do. Basically, all you need is a union. To union the okay. two hoses together. Now, do you notice this problem to be worse if the fuel tank is low versus full? Um, both times it's done it, 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 it's been full. Well, one time it was totally full, and this, this morning when it did it, it was at least three fourths full on both tanks. Okay, so that can live. So your pickup tube could have a crack in it. It's rare, but it can happen. Okay. Generally, that you would say then, oh, it only does it when it's at a quarter tank or a third tank, but if okay. you it's full, um, you know, if there's a crack halfway down, it doesn't matter because there's fuel there. So I wouldn't think the pickup tube would be the issue. But right. a, and a quick test for you is to bypass that, that water separator and see if the problem goes away. If it does, then you know that's the problem. Okay. I'll take a look at that. I appreciate it. Thank you. Welcome. All right. Fast calls today. Let's go to uh, Rob. Are you with me? Yes, I'm with you. All right. Go ahead. We're good. There we go. So I got a Detroit 12.7, and I have the old uh, square York-style air compressor. And the mounting bracket for that air compressor, the holes in the gear case that actually hold the mounting bracket, they've gotten egged out over time. And I read somewhere that uh, Detroit used to make a, a SIM kit where you would ring the holes out and, and put SIMs in it. Is that still around, or have we come up with a different fix to that problem? So let me ask you this first question. Are you changing the torsional damper every 500,000 miles? Yes, I have your torsional damper on here. It's got about 200,000 on it, and I also have the balance. Okay, good. All right, so these holes getting egg-shaped. Um, I, I guess that's a... This is for your AC compressor. Are you correct? Is that what it is? The AC compressor mounting bracket. Yes. Okay. Right where the bracket mounts to the actual gear case. Those right. Right. Uh, I, I know we've used that kit in the past. I don't know if it's still available. Best thing to do is call back after the show and ask for Brian. He's our shop foreman, and he can let you know if, if they're still offering that part or not. Uh, okay. You know, one option is to replace the front cover, which is obviously going to be expensive. But we have used that. Um, fix where we ream it and bush it and it's fine okay all right and uh also one more thing uh i have a d-deck 3 computer on here and i have a tech engine light for the code i think it says the eprom memory is that correct all right yeah that's uh that's an r.i.p in peace <laughs> so basically what that just means is the uh the memory inside is starting to die 
the read-only memory part. So that's a, that's a fairly easy fix if you send it to us. It's like $500 for us to open it, um, change the memory chip, reprogram it, and send it back to you. But uh, oh. yeah, if you continue with that code, you're going to probably start to experience some sort of weird um, things that start to happen, maybe some misfires, the truck doesn't run right. It's mostly just because um, the ECM just can't make good decisions anymore because it's just losing its memory. So. Okay. And you kind of answered my next question because I was going to say, can that you know, make me get kind of a intermittent, uh, misfire or it, sometimes it feels like I'm, I'm running on like one weak cylinder and I've done the injectors. I've done the fuel lines. I've, I've got a recent overhaul on it. And I'm like, man, well, I think, you know, sometimes on a hard pull, you can feel it. It's just, it's not like all six cylinders are smoothly smooth. And at the same time, yeah, not every part, not every chip is going to lose its memory in the exact same location. But yeah, I have seen memory chips cause those sort of issues. Could he have the wrong numbers in ECM for the injectors? Um, yeah, there could be wrong trim numbers in there, but that's going to be something he would have felt from like day one whenever those trim codes were programmed in. If this is sort of starting to happen over time, it's probably just a memory thing. Next question. Right. When, you feel, when you feel this loss of power, are you losing one or two pounds of turbo boost? No, I'm not losing any boost. Um, if I'm under a light load or if I'm empty, I don't feel it. It's just really when I'm, you know, I'm kind of in, in a good pull with the load on it, and I'm probably around about 20 pounds of boost. The engine just doesn't feel smooth. And then sometimes it'll it'll be great, feel smooth, won't shake the truck or anything. But other times I get that intermittent problem. That could be air in the fuel, and the fast fuel system would fix that for you. Okay. Yeah, I'll check into that. I never put a sight glass or anything on it to make sure that there is no, yeah. actually no air, even though I have new fuel lines on it. Um, so with the ECM fixing uh, the E-Prime memory, uh, does that repair include putting a new battery in it and everything, or would uh, it be extra? It, yeah, it doesn't include that, but, I mean, it's a good time to do it while we're in there, um, uh -huh. while the lid's off and everything. So that that is an additional charge to put the battery in. Um, but we probably will want to check it first before we just replace it to see where the voltage is at. I mean, if it's okay. around, you know, 2.8 volts or something like that, then you got many years left on it. Um, but if it's getting around sort of 1.8 volts, getting towards the bottom of its useful range, then, yeah, we would go ahead and check, change it. Okay, good. And what's the turnaround time on that right now? Uh, usually it's a couple of days. Uh, I would say two or three days. Okay, all right, great. You guys answered all my questions. Thanks. Perfect. You're welcome. Thanks for the call. Uh, that's going to do it for our calls. We uh, we blew through them pretty fast there, so we've got uh, open phone lines. I will uh, hang out here a bit and see if we get any more calls. We've got some time, so jump in and join us. 855-950-3835. Bruce, what was the most interesting thing you saw or learned at Nastic? Everything you had driver, to say. A driver <laughs> with 6 million miles accident-free. Yeah, that was pretty incredible, wasn't it? 53 years of driving. Yeah. All 
the uh, was it 20 or 22 drivers they all basically had the same thing to say they don't tailgate they look out for the other vehicle as if it's their own family but the part i like is not tailgating yeah they also mm-hmm. all mentioned their their patience in fact i i made the comment that one night um the this group of drivers have has more patience than doctors um <laughs> It was really incredible. If I remember right, the combined total safe driving miles. Now, all of these miles were not necessarily how many miles they've driven. It was their accident-free miles. So, and if I remember right, it was like 72 million accident-free miles in this group. Yeah, pretty amazing. Yeah. And some of those were company drivers and were some owner-operators. Uh, no, those are all company drivers. Those were employee driver of the year. Wow! Yeah, yeah. That so was impressive. So what? Nasty. Uh, the Navy. Go ahead. Go ahead. The Navy SEAL. I found him to be very interesting, and in how he totally punished his body and felt at times when you hold your breath underwater until it feels like it's an ice pick going through your temple. Um. And the so, things he did on a bicycle, and I loved his story about uh, he was in Hawaii for that Ironman contest. And this guy's not a big guy; he's yeah. not big at all. Um, so he, I, I'd say he's probably five ten, five nine, five hundred and eighty pounds, maybe. Very, very yes. fit and trim. You're right, but not big, not muscular. Um, that is, uh, a lot of people, you know, equate, uh, like the, the, the Navy SEALs and, and those kind of units with people that they would think would be bigger and more muscular. It's the opposite. Most of those guys are smaller and, and much more compact. They're more endurance athletes. They can get in and out of tight places um, being really big in that would, would actually be a, a negative. So you don't see a lot of really big guys in, in those kind of units. His story was just absolutely incredible. It's amazing to me what the human body can endure. When he talked about, you know, he said yeah. he's only quit three things in his entire life. Uh, he quit running the first time. Uh, Somebody asked him to run when he was a teenager. He quit the um, underwater swim as a seal. He said the pain was so intense, like he said, an ice pick in his his brain, and he gave up. And he said he felt like such a loser that when they gave them a second chance, he actually stayed underwater and passed out. He pushed it. He didn't finish the swim. But he passed out underwater, and they had to rescue and recover him. But he said, I, I just wasn't going to quit. Yeah. And I love the story about the bicycle in Hawaii. He shows up to do oh, this, how many miles oh, there. That was so cool. going to ride on the bicycle. <laughs> and and the, the guy who was picked to win had this Bianchi bicycle. And he's looking at the Navy SEALs bicycle. And he said, and basically called it a piece of trash. And said that my pedals cost more than your whole bicycle and he's and not he, kidding he was passing them yeah and when he was passing him he come up beside him he said nice bianchi 
and he left them. Yes. And that kind of reminded me of a great run in 12-7 <laughs> coming up against a beautiful new truck. That 12-7 having all of our stuff on and putting out about 700 and some horsepower and it just leaves you. And so, yeah, that I equated that story to a 12-7 Detroit D-Deck 4. And, and yeah. It, it was great. And I... And the preacher guy, the guy that was the preacher that was also into trucking, I liked him. He just talked a little fast for me, but uh, he was that, good. That was Dan Baker. Dan Baker was also the keynote speaker for the last two years of our CMC. And another interesting story, Dan Baker's just an amazing guy. Um, Dan Baker's daughter, Mindy Baker has been the program director on Midnight Trucking forever. She was the first person to put me on the radio. Is that right? Yeah, that was Dan's daughter. Well, apparently at the CMCs, I missed the keynote speaker because um, maybe would, we were just too busy. But, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah I, I really enjoyed so, him. That, that bike story, Bruce, and, I absolutely uh, loved that too. So... Here's the, the champion. Everybody knows his name. He's got this incredibly expensive custom bicycle. And now here's Don Mann, ex-Navy SEAL, who has not won any Ironmans at this point. He's an unknown. He's nervous. I believe it was his first Ironman event. And here's the crazy thing. They have Ironmans all over the country. Um Hawaii's the toughest one there is. He started there. I mean, he goes to the, the, to the toughest event first. He's a beginner, and he basically shows up with a stock Schwinn bicycle. And, and he said they, they laughed at him. And then we, he got the last oh, laugh. So it was I, an I, actual Schwinn? It was I, a Schwinn? Wasn't it? I think I, it was some just basic name brand of bicycle. It, there was nothing special about it at all. Had, I, I, I can yeah. tell you, I have a better bicycle than what he won that competition with. Wow. Yeah. One of my favorite bicycles is a Janus, J-A-N-U-S. Uh, Debbie and I have two of those in Colorado, and we have two of them here in Florida. really like that brand of bicycle. But um, also, when he talked about climbing Mount Everest, oh, oh. and those who have snowmobiled with us know what it's like to be stuck at 12,000 oh. hey, feet Bruce. elevated, hey, Bruce. digging out I, your sled. I, I yeah. hate to do it. We just got blasted with phone calls um, while we were goofing around telling stories. Mike in Iowa, let's get to it. Hey, uh, might be quick. I got a Leroy question. Got a 2022 Coronado Glider TWS Cat. On my, my on the cruise control, on my previous truck, you know, the cruise control will be on to be a, a light on the dashboard. This one doesn't have anything like that. Can you wire, like, just a small LED on the dash to maybe light up when the cruise is on? Um, That might be possible. I can't quite remember off the top of my head all the lights that are on the Coronado dash, but I mean, it could be a separate LED, you know, just a, just something. Sometimes I, I don't, I think it's off and it's on and I'll hit resume and it'll, you know, my speed gradually picks up over time. And, uh, so you mean like when, when the cruise is actually engaged, not just when the switch is on. Correct. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. That might be doable. Um, I've never done it, but I mean, it, it, it sounds like it's doable. I mean, it obviously was on your last truck. We would just have to figure out how to get it done on your Coronado. 
Okay. Okay. Yeah, but, um, yeah, that would be something you'd probably have there. to bring to me in person, and then we can. Yeah, I'm gonna kind of want to get a. I, I don't need a radiator, but I would like to have one. One of your radiators in a bag. Uh, yeah, I live in Tennessee, and when it fails, I'm gonna have to have one pretty quick. And you know how that works. You have to get what you can get. If I had one sitting there, I wouldn't worry about it. Right. Yeah. By the way, I agree with you with that light because all my vehicles, you know, has the light in the dash and you look at it constantly and it kind of reminds you that, yes, you are on cruise and I think I, you should have that. I have a question about cruise. Yeah, I mean, what I... Just, yeah. a, just a general, just it seems odd to me. Um, how come most vehicles re- require you to turn the cruise on instead of just setting the cruise speed when you want to? Some don't. Some do. Some you just set the speed and you're on cruise and then the light comes on and you see you're on cruise. Others I have to turn on a switch to turn the cruise on and then set my speed. Yeah, you're right. I don't understand yeah, that. I've, I've never touched my own off switch. It stays on all the time. Yeah, it seems over. I just kick it off with the clutch of the brake. Right. It seems overly complicated. Why do we need that extra on switch? Yeah. Good question. That's we'll all I have. that one there through. <laughs> okay. Okay, that was all I had. I appreciate it, guys. All right, thanks for the call. Let's uh, let's move right along here. We got to go to Florida. Shane, welcome. Hey guys, how's it going this morning? Good. Can y'all hear me? Yep. Go ahead. Good. Um, got a twenty-four Peterbilt, twenty thousand miles on X fifteen. Three gallons of coolant so far, and I don't see any trace of. I can't find it. Three gallons in what time frame? Where it's going. For about a month and a half. Give me how many miles roughly? Uh, 18,000 miles. Okay. I kind of doubt that it's going into the engine because that's an awful lot of coolant. But have you done an oil sample? I have not done an oil sample, but I don't believe at all that it's going into the engine. Um, I've had to add oil. I've not. I'm not. Uh, I I would sample. Levels I, any. I, I would sample just in case we could be. It could be getting into the engine. We could be burning some of it off. Um, I would double check because coolant in the engine is destructive. If it's not in the engine and you right. can't find the leak, three gallons over that time frame is quite a bit. Um, it's going to be a hot water leak only happening when you're driving under pressure, and they can be tough to find. I would also check right, the outlet right. of the air cooler. We've seen a bunch of those recently. And what was that? Where do you Lee live? I said I would check the output of the EGR cooler. It's a pretty quick thing just to pull the pipe off that co- that comes out of the EGR cooler and just see if it's wet there. We've seen a bunch of bad EGR coolers on ISXs recently. Good idea. Okay. Okay. I live in Texas, Bruce. Um, you okay. actually we emailed back and forth about the gear ratio in this truck, Mark. I'm the one that had the truck stolen in March. Um, oh, anyway. yeah. Um, Do you get up to Iowa time. by any chance? Do you get into Iowa? I went to Iowa to get my trailer. That's the last time I've been. Okay. I went and seen Jim Hawk. Um, but they're checking it Friday with a pressure test uh, when I get back to Texas. Um, but I just figured I would call and see what is. I can't be the only idiot with this problem. I mean, yeah, I figured somebody must 
be experiencing the same thing or have never seen well, it before. It, it, it's not that it's, you know, a different, well, it could be lots of different problems that cause this. Disappearing coolant can disappear in a lot of places. And when it's a hot water issue, it is more difficult to find. So, yeah, we, we deal with this all the time, but it's one of those things that could have multiple reasons. Gotcha. Gotcha. All right. So check the, the right. output of the EGR. See and, and pull an oil sample. Those would be my first two steps. And pull an oil sample. Okay. All right. Well, I can definitely do that. I appreciate the help. You're welcome. Thanks for the call. Let's go to Ohio. Herschel, welcome. Hey, guys. What's on your mind this today? This probably will be for Bruce. Well, this probably be for Bruce and or Pete. Liners in an engine block. I know back in the day when Bruce would come on Friday nights at midnight, he talked the specs of a liner and the protrusion, and he always said, nah, I probably got these numbers wrong, like on a cat. The factory spec was three to five, but you go six to save head gaskets. So Correct. my question is, why in the world isn't there a little shelf, if you will, or a ledge inside the block so the bottom of the liner rests on it, and then the liner can't sink? It That must not be there. Well, been, then you couldn't resurface the block. Ah, I didn't think of that. And the liner fits on, and, and they sit in, in the counterbore, which is a, a, a ledge. And over time, regardless of the engine, uh, liners always drop. I mean, there's no way to stop it. Uh, Cummins went to the mid-stop liner on the X-15s. It's down lower in the middle of the block where there's more beef to it. And it's helped reduce that, but it still exists. Occasionally, we have to cut the uh, cut for a thicker shim to bring the protrusion up where they're supposed to be. Interesting. So the liner is so is the liner really a perfect circle, or, or up and down, or is it kind of egg shaped so it wedges tighter as you push it down in? No, it's perfectly. It's a perfect circle. The piston's egg shaped. That's what I mean. I wonder if the li- the liner isn't that way, so. Is the liner skinnier at the bottom than it is at the top where it sticks out of the block? No. No, it seats in the O-ring in the packing gland. But here's one, Pete. With the Caterpillar, how does the liner sink when it sits on top of the block and you've got that spacer plate? And I hear Caterpillar won't install. Mark Dinslade said Caterpillar won't install that 3,000 spinner deck plate to bring up liner protrusion. Why? They make the plate. Why won't they install it? Yeah, they're the ones that make it, so that makes no sense. But the deck surface then um, will erode. And when you pull the liner, and if you take a protrusion gauge, you can see the erosion error is a couple thousand. And then and you would cut that for a shim to clean that up and then bring the liner protrusion where it could be. Very interesting. All right, guys, I'll let you be. I'm just curious, what holds that liner? Evidently, just pressure and nothing. Well, well there you no, go. No, on the uh, on the on the is on the Cummins, the the big cams are pressed in. There is an interference. The uh, D deck three and four Detroit's they're actually pretty loose in there. And on the Caterpillar, Pete, do they sit pretty tight down no. in the block? No, not at all, because they're sitting on the on the deck. So the only thing holding it in place is the O-rings. 
at the bottom. And then what about head holding it? Yeah. yeah. Right. A couple of different methods depending on the engine. There you go. All right. Next call. Ohio. Daryl, welcome. Well, I've got a spare truck that starts at 17, spun rock bearing. And I'm wondering, would it same money the B four and a quarter cast? Pop the whole engine out for an electronic engine or go in and just repair this one. Didn't go through the block, it just spun. Daryl, you don't have a do you have a four and a quarter mechanical cat now? I've had that truck since ninety eight. Me, my mother and grandmother bought that truck years ago to train my other two brothers how to drive. Okay. I had three trucks. I have a black marmot, a white marmot, and a blue Cascadia. Okay. All right. Don't okay. you remember me? Of course I do. Remember we were okay. talking about driving with the boost gauge, and for a while there you were up a mile a gallon? Yep, and the truck's doing about 7.6, and it's only running on the catalyst. That's what I'm driving now. Okay. But I am about ready to work on the spare truck, and I'm wondering if I should pull the engine. I'm guessing it might need a head, and then you got to pull the crank and all that. Or would it cost me the same money in today's economy to just get another engine, get an electronic you, engine? Did you say you spun a bearing in it, Daryl? Spun bearing, yes. I had it over at All Toppers, Iowa, and they saw the problem. It this ran. A main, bearing or, a main bearing or a rod bearing? Rod. Okay, so at that point, you're going to need a crank because you never want to cut the crank. Yep. So you need a crank. Yep. I mean, that adds to the price. The, obviously, the engine has to come out. You're going to do a line bore. Mm-hmm. You have it decked. Yeah, and of course, there are advantages to put an electronic engine in these trucks. And price-wise, I mean, okay. no matter what, it's not going to be an inexpensive repair. You know, with the type of failure when the engine has to come out and you're buying a crank and you're going to do the machine work. And at that point, it's an outer frame. You're going to do the cam, all the components. Either way, it, it's going to be expensive. Well, here's... Uh commentary when i had this engine rebuilt it's a junkyard engine i assisted with a friend of a friend of mine when we pulled the head out the engine the deck was perfectly flat the liners hadn't even started to sink yet but the pistons had got stalled it when we first turned the engine on they forgot to dig some junk out of the water jacket with the head gasket it's only got a hundred thousand miles on an in frame and it's fun to ride there and i it's probably got something to do with whatever he did to the engine at the 100,000 mile checkup. I think he turned the pump up too high, I think, but I don't know. Well, well, let me ask you a question. When you rebuilt it, did you put cat reman rods in it? It was a complete matching numbers uh, rebuilt kit. It matched the engine serial numbers perfectly. We got it from the Marmon dealer out in Chicago. Okay. So you did put reman rods in, recondition rods. Everything. And I still got the original rods in a bucket next to the, uh, in the back of the truck. So that way, whatever rods spun, you know, you could match it up. Oh. But, mm-hmm. so I'm wondering uh, if, uh, okay, the truck I'm in now will be paid off in April, or it'll be paid off between now and next month if a house out in California sells. So I'll have my money stacking up on getting started into that little project. So I'm just wondering either way what you're saying, because we have facilities in our backyard. Uh, we sell old parts for old Marmon, so I could pull that engine out myself. 
and you staked it somewhere. So, what do you think? I didn't know you sold parts for Marmons. I don't, but I'm renting a place out at a guy that does. He's got the last Marmon. Okay. So are you moving out of California to where? No, no, no. I don't live. I've never, I don't. I haven't lived in California for 20 years. I live in Texas. Oh, okay. All right. Mm. Yeah, just north of Dallas. So uh, either way, it would probably be the same dollar to put an electronic engine as to build this one. No, it'd be a little bit more because you're then uh, getting a wiring harness to put in there. Now, again, are you buying a reman engine like a 6NZ? Are you buying an old engine and rebuilding it? You know, it it depends on what you're getting engine-wise for price. Okay, so I got to go shopping to see what the market has out there. Yeah, I think a Reman Cat engine's in the high 40s right now. Really? And if yeah. I were to fix this one, it would would it be that high? Even if I pull it out? It would be cheaper. Okay. All right. Well, that's what I need to know. Now, I have the original B4 and a quarter in my storage shed. It had a bad camshaft. So either way, I guess, I should be able to set something up on, you know, in a less expensive manner is what you're saying is what I'm scared, right? Right. If you have that four and a quarter B that has a good crank and block in it, that's way to, to go. Okay. Okay. Perfect. Perfect. That's what I need to know. Oh, and that catalyst works perfect. The truck I'm driving has a cracked Knox chamber. It cracked in 2019. I've been running the catalyst. All I did was put a plug in the outlet Knox chamber of the one box, and it's been running fine. <laughs> no problem. Amazing. So yeah. that stuff works great. So that's Thank what you. I need to know, and I do appreciate the information. You're welcome. Thanks for the call. We're off to Alabama. Danny, welcome. Hey, Kevin. Good show yesterday. Thank you. Um, 2003 Volvo ISX pre-emissions. I've got the full tilt manifold and the fleet air filter. I do plan on doing a smoke test because of boost. I barely get 22, 23 pounds of boost. And I know this thing should be close to 30 with the manifold and filter. What horsepower is it? 450, 1650 torque. Oil samples clean. You said you're getting 20 pound of boost? Yeah, at nineteen twenty, I, I mean, I'll get twenty two to twenty three sometimes, but you know it should be doing better than that. Yeah, you should be upwards twenty four, at least twenty four, twenty five. Um, With the manifold and the filter. Yeah, you said. Well, why are you dry? What's your what's your pyrometer? Uh, it doesn't work in here. I'm okay, gonna get one get a, to put in it. Yeah. Okay. But, put our well, Hewitt in. It's the most accurate. Put our Hewitt in. It's the most accurate pyrometer there is. Put it in yep. the exhaust manifold, and then let's yep. see where your heat is. But uh, yes, you better get a boost test done. Right now, I'm just coasting along here on 20, and yeah, I'm two, three pounds of boost right now because it's just loafing along. I'm only doing like 60. And is, is there anything else maybe Leroy would know besides any boost leaks? 
What yeah, else can gonna, I do? You're going to want to do some simple things like whenever you get to the shop or you can do it uh, with the scan gauge. Obviously, like I always say, check sensor values. Make sure everything is reading right. Like, for example, if your barometric pressure sensor is reading off, then that could hold you back on boost. Uh, other things, obviously, boost sensor working. And then from there, I would check and make sure like that wastegate is working properly because that's ECM controlled. So if that's not working, then you could have some issues uh, where... Yeah, know, I, don't, I don't think this, this turbo doesn't have a wastegate. From the factory, they, they have a electronically wastegated turbo unless you've changed it for something else. Well, I didn't, but maybe a previous owner did. I don't know. But there's no uh, on a uh, on an ISX, Leroy, uh, non-emission. I didn't think that had a boost. Or a uh, wastegate. Yeah, on the five seventy, they had it. Yeah. It did. Mm-hmm. For sure. Okay. They did Isn't that the little canister on the uh, the wastegate? The little canister on the side with the little rod that goes in and out, right? Mm-hmm. There's nothing like that on this turbo. It's not going to be on. It's going to be on the driver's side, and there's going to be an airline that runs around. Oh, all right. Well, then that's. It's going to look like a fixed vane turbo, but it's it, it's not. So unless right. you got it change. Well, like I said, I don't know. I'm I'm out there looking at it, but those are the well, only one, two things I can think of is sensor values, and you have a malfunctioning wastegate actuator. All right, we'll check into it. Thanks, guys. You're welcome. Thanks for the call. Let's go to, uh, I just did it again. Every time that I'm going to have to figure something different out. Every time the page shifts and I'm clicking to hang up a call, it shifts right when I'm clicking and then I hang up on myself. Uh, the only call we had left was Paul, uh, Paul, howdy. Sorry. I'm, uh, I'm not going to reconnect. We're, we're past our one hour mark and, uh, I know you'll call back in, so we will do that one again. I also can't communicate with the guys from Pittsburgh Power right now, so uh, Morgan, if you would let them know that uh, that was the last call, I dropped it, so we're just going to uh, wrap this up, and we will be back here tomorrow for Destination Health. All right. Um, we will see you back here tomorrow. I'm heading over to F3. I've got some meetings today. I might... Uh, Might have some stories tomorrow. We will see. Be safe, be profitable, be fit and healthy. Always do the hard work and master the journey.